Welcome back. It is the second hour of the Eric Erickson Show. Glad to have you with me. Phone number 877-973-7425. I'm sure I'll be doing cooking this weekend if you want to follow me on Instagram at EW Erickson. I, I occasionally put up the food pictures there. Now, so this has been one of those unusual weeks where, oh, we've had a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of drawn out stuff, and I hadn't been able to get to all the stuff that I wanted, and the stack of stuff has just piled up. And so I can finally today get to the story I've wanted to get to the entire week. So it started uh, with a, a little bit of spin from Chris Saliza. Chris Saliza is the uh, fount of conventional wisdom at CNN. The guy is like on the left and the right, everybody drags Chris Saliza. If the guy says the sky is blue, you better go outside and check to make sure he, it really is. One of those sorts of things. Uh, but but so he's got this this piece and he pushed it out with tweets that uh, Republicans have gotten far more conservative than Democrats have gotten liberal. And it, then he has a piece. Yes, it's Republicans fault. Congress is so polarized. It means that one political party asymmetric polarization is getting more partisan than the other or that one side is moving closer to its ideological pole than the other. It's what has happened in Congress over the last five decades, according to a report from the Pew Research Center, examining roll call votes of lawmakers beginning in the early 70s, using a system that ranks members of Congress from most liberal to most conservative. Pew found that the average Senate Democrat and House Democrat has grown only marginally more liberal. The average Senate and House Republican, however, has grown significantly more conservative during the same period. As Pew's Drew DeSilver wrote in the findings, both parties have moved further away from the ideological center since the 1970s. Democrats, on average, have become somewhat more liberal, while Republicans, on average, have become much more conservative. It's what they keep telling themselves. I would, by the way, argue that this, this particular effort by Pew is somewhat flawed in that it internalizes the own biases of their uh, researchers as to who's liberal and who's conservative and what is liberal and what is conservative in Congress because it also contradicts a whole lot of Pew data. But wait, but wait. Before we go there, we got to go here. This is Paul Waldman in the Washington Post and a He's a liberal opinion columnist. Which party is more ruthless? It's not even close. People in both parties will tell you that their own side is made up of feckless wimps who cower at the first sign of resistance, while the other side is populated by ruthless Machiavellians who will go to any length to win, but they can't all be right. A look at Washington and more vividly at the states tells us which side is mercilessly advancing its goals and which isn't. And there are a few better illustrations of that vast imbalance than how the parties have responded to the extraordinary Texas abortion law. Essentially, his argument is that uh, nasty Republicans are so mean. They're so ruthless. You know, I get this whenever I go out to L.A. for uh, HBO, for Bill Marcho. It's been a while. But I'll go out there and inevitably Bill and, and whoever one of the Democratic panelists is, usually it'll be James Carville and me together. We get along well. And they'll be like, yeah, the Republicans are just nasty. They're ruthless. Ruthless people. They'll do anything. And, and we just, we, we fall over. We surrender every time. You know, when I get together with Republicans, 
All my Republicans, oh, the Democrats are so much more ruthless than us. Both sides believe it about the other. Now, what this guy is trying to extrapolate is that uh, because voters across the nation have overwhelmingly at the state level voted Republican, and so Republicans can advance their agenda, they must be more ruthless than the Democrats. No, it's just Republicans are winners. That is a basic truth here. Republicans are winners. But what does the data actually say? Well, according to uh, Pew and other researchers, on immigration, Republicans have moved five points to the right, but Democrats have moved 35 points to the left. On abortion, Republicans who advocate a total ban have increased a couple of points. Democrats who favor legality in every instance has risen 20 points. Time and time again, the Democratic Party has shifted further left, and that's part of the problem with the Pew research on Congress. A lot of these guys were already liberal. <clears throat> they could only go so far left. People on the Republican side had been somewhat moderate, and, and they have dramatically moved now further right because of primaries. Conservatives have gotten very good at fighting in primaries. This is a problem the Democrats are going to have to deal with. But what we should not do is let the media get away with the spin of it and try to claim that somehow uh, we're more ruthless on the right or or we're, we're harder fighters than on the right. I, I got to tell you, if Republicans were so ruthless and hard fighters, why is Obamacare still the law of the land? If Republicans are so ruthless and nasty fighters, why is the government still funding NPR and Planned Parenthood? I mean, because Republicans are not nearly as ruthless as what the Democrats would tell you they are. It's all in their head. The reality here is that where one party is dominant in a state, that party can typically get away with what it wants. So in Texas, the Republicans are fighting internally. A lot of the main Republicans in Texas have been fairly moderate. Greg Abbott, he's a fine guy, but he's very moderate. Greg Abbott really isn't a guy who's going to go to the mats for you. He, he's just, he's not. He is, uh, he's a moderate Republican, very pro-business, not necessarily a hardcore social conservative, and it shows. I know the guy. And so in Texas, Abbott is having to pivot to the right, or he did because he was trying to stave off a primary attack. He survived it, but at the same time, Republicans in Texas know they are always an election away from having a conservative revolt against the Republicans in Texas. they got to give them some wins. It's kind of like in Georgia. In Georgia, a lot of the Republicans now used to be Democrats. Uh, they, they still kind of view the world as a Democrat. They've kind of flipped. Uh, Brian Kemp, the Republican governor of Georgia, is actually the first Republican governor who did not convert from a Democrat to run as a Republican. He's always been a Republican. And the Republicans in Georgia tend to, very much like the Democrats in Georgia, be socially moderate. They love Jesus and babies. Just don't make them vote on stuff. They find it all very icky and distasteful. And the conservative base is forcing them forward on issues. I mean, look at the great sellout in Georgia on uh, school choice. The Georgia Republicans totally abandoned school choice 
even as polls show that school choice is becoming more and more popular. A number of surveys have come out. A growing majority of parents nationwide think it's a good idea to allow them to pick the school where their kid goes to school and the government subsidize it than to force them into failing government schools. But Republicans are the ones who sell out on that issue. It's not the Democrats. There are hosts of issues, but I want to put it to you this way, in practical terms, terms you will understand. You are more likely in this great land of ours to find a Republican who supports transgender rights, who supports gay marriage, and who supports abortion than you are to find a Democrat who opposes gay marriage, opposes transgender rights, and opposes abortion rights. Now, by and large, the Republican position has shifted uh, since the Obergefell decision on gay marriage, and everyone kind of generally says, well, the Supreme Court says it's the law of the land. Uh, I may not believe in marriage between men and women, but I can't stop anybody. God bless them. Go forth and, and get married, I guess, and enjoy all the massive tax increases you're going to have. Christians will say, actually, marriage is still between a man and a woman, regardless of what people call it. And Democrats will say, you're a bigot if you don't believe in, in gay marriage. You cannot find a Democrat in the United States anymore who will openly say they oppose gay marriage. And not just because of Obergefell, but because of the cultural trends. You can still find Republicans who will say it, even after Obergefell. Or take abortion in particular. You cannot get elected in the United States of America anywhere and be a pro-life Democrat these days. There are multiple places you can get elected and be a pro-abortion Republican. The Democrats have these ideological litmus tests that are far larger than the Republicans. Or now on transgender rights. If you think Leah Thomas is actually a man and should not be competing against women in sports, you are a bigot to pretty much every Democrat who walks the planet that wants to speak up. The ones who disagree are actually very, very, very quiet about it. They don't like to say it publicly, although there are a lot of them, more than you might imagine. But they also recognize that we are at this point where the Democratic Party has moved so far left on these issues, if they want to stay elected, they cannot speak about it. So which party is it that's more ruthless and more ideologically polarized? There's a diversity of opinion on social issues within the Republican Party. It no longer exists in the Democratic Party. Uh, even, oh, what's his name? Uh, oh, what's his name? The senator from Pennsylvania. Is it Casey? Yeah. <clears throat> so Casey's father was a pro-life champion in the Democratic Party. He was marginalized within the Democratic Party. And he stayed committed to being pro-life. When his son got elected to the Senate from Pennsylvania, his son ran as a pro-life Democrat. The last pro-life Democrat made a very big deal about it and has ever since he got to the Senate advanced the abortion agenda, has never voted against Planned Parenthood's position. Joe Manchin actually is more pro-life. Joe Manchin, uh, way more pro-life than the supposed pro-lifer Democrat from, uh, from, from Pennsylvania. This is the, the vast array of where we are in, in the Republican and Democratic Party now is there's way more opinion and way more diversity of opinion and idea within the Republican Party. And a lot of that has to do with we're going through, particularly on the right these days, I think a political realignment. A lot of people used to call themselves conservative, now call themselves national populist and the like. On the Democratic side, you're either liberal or you're progressive. You are very rarely a moderate, even if the media calls you one. 
It is the, the great realignment in the country. But I will tell you this, going back to the original point, Republicans can be ruthless in some states because they control those states, the state house, the state senate, and the governor's mansion, some by super majorities. But the reason that you're not getting these gains in places like California and New York is because you already got them. You don't have to fight for them. This idea that the Republicans specifically are more ruthless, it's just a fiction that Democrats have that actually will work against them in November when voters realize it's actually the Democrats who are more closed-minded and intolerant. I sleep well at night under bowl and branch sheets. And I need to tell you, my family, we were customers before I started endorsing them. It's what I like to do. I like to be familiar with the product and like it. And I love the bowl and branch sheets. One of the reasons I love them is because they are super soft sheets. <laughs> Gotta say that word right. But they've got a little weight to them. So, so you feel somewhat more struggle. Like I've got some... Uh, sheets that came with the new mattress and they're so light. It's like, there's nothing on top of you and I can't sleep well with them because they're, I mean, it's just, and then they bunch up the, the man, the satiny soft feel of the bowl and branch sheets. It makes a real big difference. Listen, you've got so many options out there right now. You could go to a department store. You have so many options, but there's no reason to, because with bowl and branch, you get high quality, Sheets, they've got a great thread count. They're perfect. They've got plenty of color options. You sleep well under them because they're soft and they're durable and they've got a little bit of weight, the perfect amount of weight for a sheet. Now, I want you to go out there and order Bolin Branch sheets because they are comfortable. You got, I mean, they're environmentally friendly. They're built around sustainability, and you got quality that lasts. You know, a lot of the companies that advertise all the environmentally friendly stuff, their sheets don't last. I can tell you, my bowl and branch sheets have lasted a long time, and they get softer over time. Experience the best sheets you've ever felt at bowlandbranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. If you weren't here in the last hour, welcome back, by the way. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you weren't here in the last hour, I was talking about human trafficking. I don't want to delve back into it. You can can text the word show to 33777 and get the podcast. You know, by the way, if you subscribe to my uh, show notes, to my Substack, you get the show notes links, but also... You get the podcast without any advertisements, just the clean feed. Um, if you text show to 33777, you can subscribe to the uh, Substack. Now, um, I, so somebody was listening, a friend of mine was listening to the first hour when I was talking about, I ran for public office uh, in large part because of human trafficking issues in my area that people were aware of. And I, I did not tell you uh, what one of the further impetus, impeti, whatever it is uh, for doing this. So I started writing about uh, the Asian themed massage parlors in my area. They appeared to be um, both actually for prostitution, but also there were uh, allegations, there were investigations, police investigations about human trafficking. And a lady I was talking to up in Gwinnett County said the same thing happened to her. And sure enough, I started getting threatened. Uh, at first, it was just comments. I was I was running a blog, was writing about this stuff, and 
uh, people just left comments, very threatening comments about me. And then I started getting emails that their first it was going to be lawsuits. They were going to sue me. Now, mind you, uh, I was also a lawyer at the time. I still got my law license. I'm inactive in the bar. I don't practice anymore. Can't give you legal advice. I'm sorry. Uh, but I, I was practicing at the time and was, I, I mean, I knew the libel slander laws. I, there was no one, they couldn't sue me. And I would reply back and, and say, go ahead, try. And of course, the email address didn't work. And this went on for a while. And, and you know, my personality, I don't know, but it's my person. When you, when you keep telling me, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I'm probably going to do it. Uh, if it's something I want to do now, if you're telling me don't jump off the building, yes, I'll listen to you. But if you're telling me, um, don't take this stand, don't take this position, it's not going to be popular. Uh, I, that's probably my indication of, yeah, I actually do need to be the person because my theory is always, there are lots of other people who believe what I believe, but they're not in a position to be able to say it. And I am, so I will. So in that case, I started writing about the harassment and it got worse for a little while. And that just made me want to pursue this further. And I, I've heard the story a lot from people. And so the way that this Justice Department report worked, I, in the first hour I mentioned, Janet Reno's Justice Department prepared a, a report on human trafficking. It came out actually under John Ashcroft's name because it, it didn't come out until 2001 uh, when Bush had been elected by then. But what well, the report said is within 30, a 30 minutes drive of military installations in the Southeast, you can find a lot of Asian-themed massage parlors, and, and many of them are notoriously so, uh, places for prostitution. And the money that is, is spent there is then sent back to the Northwest, where the uh, Asian mafia tends to be more concentrated in this country. Uh, the Italian mob, the Russian mob, the Chicago, New York, places like that. Uh, but up in the uh, Upper West, Seattle, Portland, Oregon area, it tends to be Asian mobs, and they flow the money back to Asia. It was a very interesting report. Also deeply disturbing. They're way more ruthless. The, the Russians are probably the most ruthless, but um, that's what they do. And one of the things, one of the patterns and practices has been cycling people in and out. And apparently there's this thing where you you start off at the, at the spa, you eventually get to maybe a nail salon or something like that, and then you get into a restaurant, the ones who become most trusted, the girls. And one of the problems is now that uh, border security is tighter and we've been made more aware as a nation of the problem, it's harder to bring people into this country to essentially be trafficked to be slaves for sex or labor or, or what have you it's harder and so now that the kidnappings of american kids oftentimes kids lured in i know someone who had this happen to his child and the child luckily enough had good enough relationship with the parents to speak up and 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 say what happened it was deeply traumatic uh actually had, had to, a lot of therapy involved and it was essentially a situation where the child met someone online who went to a neighboring school and it turns out, yes, it was a someone this kid's age, uh, but that kid was working on behalf of the father and the father was trafficking everybody. It was horrific. Uh, these sorts of things happen. We should be mindful about this sort of stuff happening. Uh, it's awful. And the harassment that comes with talking about it, is, it can also be awful. But the only way you fix the problem is to have people stand up and be willing to talk about it. And there have been a lot of people, a lot of good people who are willing to stand up and talk about it. And lots of good groups out there 
who have made it their mission to rescue uh, kids, American and otherwise, who are being trafficked in this country. It's just this whole whole culture, this thing, this evil that I didn't re- really even knew ex- know existed until I, I decided to run for office on that issue, having seen them all be open so late and gotten curious and, and heard. And, and man, my goodness, there's a level of depravity out there that I don't know that everybody can appreciate. All right, on that happy note, uh, when we come back, a Democrat in Congress has decided to retire. Why? Not because she thinks she can't win, but because she thinks the Democrats have no use for her. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome back. The phone number 877-973-7425. In 2016, John Micah was running for re-election. John Micah was a 12-term incumbent. His district had been redrawn. About 25% of it was new. He was 73 years old. The district was a little more Democrat. He didn't even have a campaign staff. No campaign manager. His press operation was a part-time operator who was actually a Democrat. He ran a terrible campaign. He just assumed he'd been elected for so long. In fact, for at one point, he had been the chairman of the Transportation Committee. And suddenly he found himself in real trouble with a real campaign by an aggressive upstart Democrat, a mother of two, who was a Democrat, 38 years old. She was the a, a um, immigrant. Her parents were Vietnamese refugees. And she went out about local issues. She focused on issues of funding and education. She focused on transportation. Remember, he had been the chairman of the Transportation Committee. She focused on uh, gun violence and education for her kids. The Democrats told her the whole time she was doing it wrong. The Democrats in Washington, D.C. told John Micah, and again, this was the powerful chairman of the House Transportation Committee in a district that's still Republican, or was. They told her she needed a campaign on Donald Trump. She needed to make the entire race about Donald Trump. Everywhere she went, she needed to attack Donald Trump. And uh, the candidate, John Micah, the congressman, tie him to Donald Trump. And she said no. She refused to do it, and as a result... The DCCC didn't spend a whole lot of money on her. A lot of outside groups wound up stepping in and helping her. But the outsiders, nope. They, they, the, the, the experts, they didn't want to help her. They didn't think she could win by not focusing on Trump. Instead, focusing on these ridiculous, like, pocketbook, uh, kitchen table issues she won. She beat John Micah been there for 25 years. Nobody thought he could lose. She went door to door. She actually only entered the race a couple of days before the filing deadline. The Democrats could not even find anyone to run against John Micah. And then she focused on running on pocketbook issues. This is 2016. It's not 2018. It's not 2020. It's 2016, where the Republicans do very good on the ballot 
Donald Trump gets elected, the Democrats want her to focus on Donald Trump, make the whole thing about Donald Trump and John Micah, and she doesn't. Now, what the DCCC would do in 2018 is adopt her issue. In 2018, the Democrats, yeah, they focused on Trump some, but they actually encouraged a lot of their candidates to focus on pocketbook issues and how things weren't good under Donald Trump and how much angst and anxiety there was in the country and and stuff like that. And they won. Now, they won in large part not because of how they ran, but because Donald Trump was in the White House and the party that doesn't control the White House tends to do a pretty good job in the midterms. Now, fast forward. It is 2022. Stephanie Murphy, the congresswoman, now congresswoman from Central Florida, leads the Blue Dogs. The Blue Dogs are the moderate liberal Democrats. They're pro-abortion, but they're for some level of fiscal sanity, some level of not blowing the roof off, some level of we just can't print money to, to spin our way on the problem. And... She's on the Ways and Means Committee, one of the most powerful committees, if not the most powerful committee in the House of Representatives. And now she's quitting. She's 43, and she's quitting. The Politico uh, sat down with Stephanie Murphy. I think I said Miller, Stephanie Murphy, to ask her why. One of the things she says is that the Democrats have abandoned the whole idea of needing a big tent. This is her quote. My first term, there was a lot more tolerance for do what you need to do to hold your seat and come back because we're trying to build towards a majority. With us being in the majority, the tolerance has eroded. It's unfortunate because I think in order for us as Democrats to hold the majority, you have to be able to win in seats like mine and in redder seats. That means you have to cut your members a bit of leeway to vote their district. This march towards party unity is going to be detrimental for our ability to lead. So one of the things that progressives has a, have attacked Stephanie Murphy on is she voted for Kate's Law. Kate's Law increased penalties on people convicted of crimes and deported who reenter the United States illegally. Progressives attacked her. She is, again, Stephanie Murphy's parents are Vietnamese refugees. She is an immigrant to this country. And she supports immigration, but she also supports law enforcement. She believes in law and order, she says. She thinks people who commit crimes need to be held accountable. And if you're deported from this country and you come back in and you commit a crime, you should really be punished. And the Democrats, the progressives, attacked her for a common sense position. Here's a little more from her. She says, um... Uh, trying to pass Biden's agenda got worse. A leadership tried to, quote, beat moderates into submission. I can't tell you the number of times I said you can't keep promising rainbows and unicorns when your political reality is such narrow margins in the House and a dead even Senate. They took the difference between rainbows and unicorns and political reality, which is anger and disappointment, and turned to that anger and disappointment against their own members. A lot of these outside groups that purport to represent a specific interest are just extensions of leadership. Instead of purely focusing on their issue area, they bleed into just advocating for whatever Democratic leadership wants. Now, what's notable here is that uh, Republicans have the same criticism 
of a lot of their outside groups. The Chamber of Commerce for years has just been seen as a, as a branch of the Republican leaders. The Democrats have this problem, and the difference between the Republicans and the Democrats is the Democrats are leading. Republicans probably eventually will fall into this as well. But it's actually Democrats more so than Republicans who get into this ideological purity. And now, listen, I promise, I didn't plan to thematically string this along. I actually was going to talk about this earlier, and we went into the other, but uh, I kept going on that and ran out the clock. The, the partisan positions of the parties has moved dramatically. You know why people, why, by the way, suburban women are moving back to the GOP? The very Pew study that allegedly shows Republicans have become some sort of radical uh, conservative actually shows suburban women perceive the Republican Party as moderating compared to the Democratic Party. And again, it goes back to the ideological contrasts. You can find more pro-abortion, pro-transgender Republicans than you can find pro-life, um, non-transgender people in the Democratic Party. That level of moderation, the voters pick up on it. The Democrats being so dogmatic. If anything, it kind of helps, honestly, if we're, if we're being honest here. I, I'm willing to bet it helps that the Republicans right now really are a bunch of principalist hacks. <laughs> no, no, no. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. What do Republicans stand for right now? Not Joe Biden. Okay. What does not Joe Biden stand for? Well, whatever it means to be not Joe Biden. The GOP doesn't have to take a position on anything right now. They just say, we're not Joe Biden. And the public loves them. Oh, you must be more moderate because, I mean, look at the radical progressives over here with Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, our party is, we're, we're not Joe Biden. And they love that. It matters tremendously that that's the situation. Um, it just, my goodness, this is, this is the problem for the Democrats and how they box themselves in in such a way that actually makes it very difficult for them this year to, to move forward. And, and here's the problem. A lot of the Democrats who are going to lose in November, a lot of those Democrats are the moderate Democrats. And because of that, the party's going to move even further to the left. Stephanie Murphy fumed that the entire idea of allies going after Democrats ahead of a tough re-election year was mind-boggling. She says, I told those groups for every dollar that you spend against me, it's going to take 10 to repair that. Why, as Democrats, we want we would take money that we need to reserve for the on-year to help win and grow the majority? Why would we spend that money against our own members is really baffling. It is. It is really baffling. And yet, it's what the Democrats have done. It, it, it's the frustration Republicans have, for example, in Georgia, where David Perdue is running against Brian Kemp. He doesn't look like he's going to win. Uh, David Perdue is way behind in the polls, way behind in fundraising. And yet he's going ruthlessly against Kemp, forcing Kemp to spend money now that could be spent against Stacey Abrams. It gives Stacey Abrams a benefit. It's the same thing the wackadoo Democrats are doing in Washington. They spent money against their own members in swing districts over Build Back Better instead of saving it. It was absurd politics. 
Now, one thing that's not absurd is the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It's actually a really good, <laughs> an absurd transition, perhaps. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It is a small air purifier. You hold it in the palm of your hand. Now, not only do you hold it in the palm of your hand, but uh, this thing, you can you can plug it in. It will, um, it, it'll eliminate the odors, but it also eliminates the bacteria, the mildew, the mold, the pollen. This time of year, you can tell I'm a little snoggy, a little snuffly, sniffly. It works. I use it primarily to eliminate odors. I travel with them now because, you know, they fit in your suitcase easily and you can um, plug it up in a car or a hotel room and get rid of stinky odors. I, you can get three of them right now for less than $200. You're saving $200. What you do is you go to EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com. You'll see a discount code box. My discount code is ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. Save $200. You get free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code ERIC3. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope the weather is good where you guys are because, uh, you know, we got this soccer game in Vidalia later and it is supposed to rain. You know, so here's the big difference um, in little league sports. If you don't have kids or your kids are too grown up, I didn't realize this. The soccer kids, unless it's thunder and lightning, they're probably going to play. Like it's raining. Cancel the game. It's going to tear up your field. No, 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 no. They play. The baseball kids, they they don't play. The soccer kids, they just make them play. I'm going to drive down there, and if it starts raining and they cancel the game, my goodness. Um, nonetheless, I move on. Moderna wants the FDA to authorize a fourth dose of the COVID shot, the booster, to give anyone who wants it a booster. Now, um, here's the thing. We get a, if you want, you get an annual flu shot. A lot of people are raising all sorts of questions about this. The reality is that, um, you know, I actually, I'm a big fan of the Moderna vaccine. Some people I know who took it got COVID, although in almost every case it was very mild. Some didn't even realize they had it. The Pfizer vaccine was the hyped one. And the Pfizer vaccine, to me, from what I've heard, did not work as well as the Moderna vaccine. In fact, the Moderna vaccine held up even against Omicron. Now, I say this as someone who was exposed, I know, on multiple occasions, very close contact, prolonged close contact with people who had gotten COVID. And I never got it. And I, I've, I've had the vaccine and then I got the booster. And if I got to get a booster every year, I'm okay with it. I'm okay if you don't. I know a lot of people who don't get the flu shot. I mean, I'm one of those people. I don't like to get the flu shot because I feel like I get the flu. And every oh, you're not really getting the flu. Your body's reacting kind of like, I guess, with the COVID vaccine now. Um, I don't like to get the flu shot because I always feel terrible for 12 to 24 hours afterwards. Same with the, with the Moderna COVID thing. But I get the flu booster every year and my family, we feel like we need to. And I encourage people to get the flu shot if they want it. I don't think it's worth pushing conspiracy theories about the vaccines, though. They do work. They don't work as originally advertised. We were originally sold by public health officials this vaccine is going to make sure you do not get COVID. Okay, well, didn't quite work out that way, but overwhelmingly, there's been a direct correlation in the uptick of the vaccine to decreased hospitalizations and decreased severe cases. 
So I'm I'm fine with it. I I I, I could I can preach to you, and I can also tell you if you don't want it, that's fine with me. What I just am very frustrated by are the conspiracy theorists who are still out there spreading stuff about this. I heard one the other day about your body begins to generate new DNA. Oh my gosh. Um, if you don't want to take it, that's fine. But I just, the, the, the level of fear some people have about it out there to me is absurd. Now, that being said, we should also say, as I have in the past, that the government has certainly earned your right to be skeptical of the government in this case. Because, my goodness gracious, a lot of the stuff that they told us along the way did not hold up. Some of it, the science evolved. Like, I realize I'm in the minority with you guys, but I'm one of those people who is willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on the masks to begin with. And do believe that uh, when COVID first came, when it was the alpha beta variants, that, yeah, the mask somewhat worked. But at this point, we know too much to know. One, if you're vaccinated, you shouldn't have to wear a mask. And two, uh, COVID can at this point go travel on such a fine particulate that unless you're wearing an N95 mask, none of them are going to do you any good anymore. It was one thing if you needed big droplets, but COVID has clearly mutated over time. It's not only mutated over time, uh, it's gotten better and easier to transmit. So let's give up the protocols. Uh, when we, you know, at the bottom of the hour, there, there's an interesting story in the New York Times. Uh, the left is excoriating David Lanhart, who is their writer who has a newsletter, who he covers COVID for him. And the left is excoriating the guy because he's in the it's time to move on camp. And the liberal readers of the New York Times are freaked out about it. I have actually, you know, I told you all the other week, I, I encountered my first they, them in the wild. I have also now encountered someone in the wild who literally did go get the Moderna vaccine, then the Pfizer vaccine, then the Johnson Johnson vaccine because they are so desperate not to get it. And here's the thing. They're a perfectly healthy person. They're perfectly healthy. They don't have any pre-existing conditions. And they did that. I'm like, this is nuts. To each his own, I guess. But I wonder if our public, kind of like with with reporters and the, and the Hunter Biden story. A lot of reporters, I think, need to admit they were wrong. Will our public health officials come out and say, yeah, here are the things we actually got wrong. And, but clarify, some of the stuff they didn't get wrong, and a lot of people say they got wrong. It's just the virus mutated and evolved, and we learned more. But some of it was clearly wrong all the time, and some of it wasn't wrong at the beginning, but is wrong now, and they still dogmatically insisted uh, that you should do it. The mask situation is a great example of that. There's a wave of COVID coming from Europe. I'm waiting for the media to melt down on it. We'll talk about that later, though. I don't want to keep talking about COVID. I do want to talk about and bring you up to speed on some of the Ukrainian stuff when we come back. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building? You want to build a building? Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can 
So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.